Uh, well, this is exciting. This is our first um, episode for season two. And I'm just going to riff here just a couple of minutes real quick for those that are tuning in. Let's take a moment of Future People Initiatives, season one. Uh, it's, you know, there's so much to be discovered. Such amazing folks that joined us. We've had Spring, Head of Learning Prudential, Stephanie, Chief Experience Officer at Adventist, Head of Talent, David from Spirit Airlines. Napoleon, Global Change Management Lead at Pepsi, Erica, Head of Change Management TIA, and so on and so forth. And uh, we are working on a full episode that's a recap for season one. But to summarize it, it, it's really asking the questions of how do we meet the pressure associated with consumerization of the employee experience? David at Spirit Airlines absolutely nailed it. And I've had a few folks uh, push back saying, hey, is this about selling or marketing? No. Consumerization is really the employees emerging as the primary driver and the focus of people initiatives. It's a big deal. It's not the organ. It's not about the organization. It's asking how do organizations now reach them in a in a way that's maybe similar to how they're being messaged by brands as consumers. And Jennifer, you and I have had a few conversations. Each one was full of, as we just started, positivity, but also energy. I, I walked away informed. And I think our biggest challenge is going to be how do we keep it in under 45 minutes or an hour, I think is what we have scheduled for today. So Jennifer, just uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Adam. Adam, very happy to be here. And uh, as you know, I could um, equally riff and, and chat about this for days at a time, but I also like to be uh, directionally successful. So let's get to it. Let's do it. And our focus today is going to be how do we move forward on the promise of the new employee and customer experience? I mean, actually, what, what do we do? We're, we're going to go beyond the hypotheticals, but let's start with the promise. H- how do you, if you were to recap as you see the world from your lens, how do you see it? I see it changing incredibly fast. I see the power of the people growing and rising in ways that we've never seen before. And, and my argument is, is that if businesses are really going to be you know, thinking about their longevity, future growth, they have to meet the customer employees where they stand today. And, and, and what that means is today, more and more, customers or employees are each other, right? Like if you think about different companies and experiences, uh, Southwest Airlines, you could work there, but you're probably flying too. If you're at um, Accenture and you're a consultant, well, you know, consultants turn over, attrition happens. You become customers, to their massive client base. And, and if you think about it across all the experiences, and the same thing can be said for DMV, all the people that work there, they have licenses. And so more and more, I'm seeing that the flattening of customer and employee experiences where they don't want to be categorized anymore. Don't put a hat on me of, I'm gonna be treated like an employee today or a customer tomorrow. Of course, employment and what you're doing for job function is one thing, but I'm talking about the experience of meeting people where they expect to be met when it comes to services products, collaboration, and support, I think what we're going to see is an absolute paradigm shift to be meeting people in, in directly um, in a more expansive way. And you see it with social media, with the trends in some of the political waves that have been occurring. You see it through um, products and services and connected devices. It's just a wave. And I, I think, quite frankly, the wave is just starting. I, I totally agree. And there are champions within organizations that are stepping up saying, we see this paradigm shift. We see the wave is beginning. What do we do? They're, they don't need to be convinced. 
I'm so glad you said that. When they're stepping up and they're saying what we're going to do, you got to remember that the playbooks aren't all written yet. Legislation's not written yet. You know, what? what's the right thing to do can be a concern. It can be a risk. You know, when you think about people stepping up and realizing this change is happening, are we going to leverage it and harness the power of the people to take strides in better ways of operational excellence, efficiencies, better life, sustainability programs? Um, or are we going to leverage it simply for the benefit of increasing margins and profit values at the expense of something else um, in other areas? Those people are, in, I can't wait to see what the next couple of years, because you're going to see some people are stepping up and they're shining and they're showing that we know what the right things to do are in harnessing this power of employee and customer um, experiences and relationships. We're going to do that in a way that it's a benefit for all parties and not going to be in a way where it's singular to the operational profit margins. Those are the people that we got to be watching out for. Those are the leaders. And they're listening in. They're probably, as they're listening to us speak right now, they're going, yep, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. But, but, but what do I do now? I think what do I do next is where it's going to get really, really interesting. So, you know, you and I spoke and, and I said, Jennifer, just put down your, your ideas in a framework. We got to keep it simple because this, this tends to be very complicated topics, complicated discussions. And also you mentioned, and to my knowledge, this is the first time when the guest is considering writing a book or maybe is already on the journey of writing a book. So we may be the benefactors of your ideas being shared first time outside of, of your, you know, uh, brilliance, br brilliant mind. So h how do you think about it? What would be the framework for us to kind of to, to start thinking about? Well, there's a little bit of old school here and there's a little bit of new and it's bringing the two together. And the old school is, is that, you know, we have pipelines and ideas. You have think tanks and innovation. Great. Go through that. Get the hard truths, understand exactly what's really happening here. Where are you placing your bets? Where are you focusing on these real transformations that are happening when it comes to employee and consumer uh, experiences and how your business is going to do that? But then when we take that old school view of a portfolio into a plan of action, I'm going to deliver something. Um, yeah, that's classic. Let's, let's do that. So we're going to get organized. We're going to have a plan. We're going to have an approach. Because if you don't have a plan, you, you don't know where your intention is. Directionally, you don't know where you're going. You need to have funding, of course, sponsors at a C-suite level. When we talk about employee and customer transformation and sentiment, when we talk about sustainability goals and things like this, you have to have the C-suite involved. You have to have C-suite sponsorship because everyone in the business is operating on profit margins and P&Ls. They're operating on their, their goals, their commission plans, and that's how the business is structured. If you want to transform employee and customer sentiment, you have to create a new line item on the metrics table. If you're going to transform, let's say, you know, there's a lot of arguments about sustainability, which I'm a big fan of, you need a line item on the plans and the KPIs. If you don't have them at the top level, then when businesses get reprioritized, it's prioritized out. So getting C-suite support is going to be key. Let's double, let's double click on that. And there's a fair bit of debate that's taking place when we talk about the C-suite for the people initiatives, right, to meet this, these challenges. There, which C-suite? And uh, what, what's really interesting is how, which different C-suites should be involved and what should their roles be? Right. Um, what What's your take on that? Which C-suite would you bring in as the kind of the leader of this, as the champion or sponsor, and who would be the, what others would be the enablers? 
So I'm, I actually am going to non-answer that one, and I'm going to non-answer it because I've been doing this for 25 years with enterprise, big companies, um, you know, the, the uh, unicorn startups up and down the spectrum. And quite frankly, company to company, the right C-suite to involve, is it can be a little different. Sometimes it's the chief strategy officer. Sometimes it's the CEO. Sometimes it's the CTO. Um, but, but the answer really comes down to is when it comes to getting buy-in and support from, from the C-suite, is you, you need to have the support in the area where they're going to help you move forward. They're going to make sure that the line items are fought for. But I also want to, again, not answer that one more way. If your C-suite is not following the same list of priorities for the company, you know, so if you do your annual review and you say, these are our 10 mission statements for the year, our 10 strategic priorities, and this is our heartbeat, if the entire C-suite is not supporting that list of 10, then what is rolling down and how is it working in your business? So when I say go back to the basics, first of all, that needs to happen. And then second of all, once, once everyone's agreeing on this is where we're going to fo focus the ship because it's a ship. This is not going to be a small grassroots thing. Then you need to find out who are the biggest champions in the C-suite. They all should be, depending on company to company, industry to industry, in a position to move the marker forward. So it really becomes on who, who has the most buy-in for seeing this value for you. And probably strategy, um, technology, and operations. There's so many plays here that are going to win when you get customer and employee experiences improved. And there, there's stories behind that, right? So if I want to improve customer and, and employee experiences, one of the things I can do is address the help desk. So right now, many companies have disparate help desk systems where an employee might call into one number for an HR problem, another for a security breach, another to say, hey, I have a suggestion on how to improve something. Likewise, customers are calling in with problems and issues. Maybe they have a maintenance issue with their car. Maybe they want to put in a design suggestion because of their experience with the product. And I think one of the, the main areas we can harness when we think about employee and customer experiences is taking this power of the voice of the people, your employees and your customers, and curating that information so you can make better business decisions on a broader spectrum. Who does that? I mean, who's looking at, if I was going to take all of what my employees and customers are talking about from design to system improvements to priorities, how does that plug into my annual pipeline and strategy goals? How does that tie into my product portfolio planning? So really, when we think about customer and employee experiences, we want it to be a value we can measure in terms of the critical path operations of our companies. Convergence. You and I even use the words uh, a total mashup. How do you bring it all together with an end-to-end -end perspective? So taking a step back, you know, we, you said, let's pick one of the 10 core business level, you know, goals, right? Let's not play in the optional, um, you know, you live over here outside of the goals of the organization step, you know, then the step one would be to draft the plan and the vision that will help you move the needle toward that business goal. Then the next step is to identify the C-suite. And as you said, it, it, it depends on the organization, but hopefully all the C-suite are on the same page to pursue those objectives that have been identified. Uh, what's next? So then the next step is, is that you've got support, you have funding, um, you are on the plan, you're, you're real, that's great. 
The next step is it needs to be delivered. You got to deliver on the promise. And maybe this is changing out resources, right? Some people are better at prep, planning, and thinking and ideation. Some people are better at execution and delivery. So step number four is to deliver on the promise. And that means you've got your tactical execution, whether you're going agile, waterfall, wagile, program, project-based, all the different permutations of, of how to deliver making sure that somebody can look at delivering something new and different, questioning the status quo and delivering on that promise. And that's, you know, we've talked about this before in terms of getting the right people on the bus, right? You, 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 you gotta make sure that you have a balanced delivery system. And I, I will say on the step number four of delivering on the promise, I, I have been in consulting and in industry. Uh, so I've done both. And, and I'll tell you the most successful and enjoyable projects has always been when there's a mix of employees and consultants. I, I, I like it. So maybe just even if it's a 20% expense with a Deloitte or Accenture or another big, one of the big fives, making sure you have a blended team is the best way to share ideas. Consultants spend a lot of time going to different companies to improve and address certain problems. So their diversity of experience in industries, technology, and solutions is broad. But employees and the, the people in the company you know your business better than anybody else knows your business. When you take those two parties and join them together, wow. I mean, the collaboration, the discussions, the meetings, it's, it's good stuff. So that's step number four. And then step number five is all about measure, 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 and iterate, right? This, this, is, the de- this is the data evolution. This is where we're at. We are at big data, more data, good data faster, bad data faster. You have to make sure that you're building a framework that is intelligent and is based on actual measurable KPIs. How is this working? What's coming in? How are we using it? How are we correcting and adjusting ourselves? It cannot be the squeakiest wheel in the room. It cannot be the loudest complaint party. It has to be a weighed, intelligent, data-driven approach that you continually measure yourself against and you iterate on and you iterate on. And to me, those are the five steps. It's getting the plan, the funding, the C-suite sponsorship, the delivery operational, and then measuring uh, across the board. And when I say those are five steps, they're not sequential. They're not linear. Some of these are very much in parallel. But those are the five elements that I focus on to say, we have something good and different we want to do. How are we going to get there? Let's double click on the last step. Let's talk about data for a bit. In our earlier discussions, you know, you really said, Adam, we, we, we should not be afraid to think in about data in a very big way right Let, let's think about it's in it in utopian almost vision and the data we're discussing here is a data that's convergence of our customer data our employee data plus our business outcomes data so how, how would you what's the biggest way that you would think about data and uh, how would you think about um, who should be helping to to create a plan to execute on, on bringing this data together yeah i think people are this, this is definitely a skill set in looking at your team members and their mindset and how they behave because you need people who are very focused and specific. Everybody does. That, that's, a, that's, that's part of the model. But in the model, you also need people who are not afraid of big data. Like, it, it excites them. It's like, it's like a big Rubik's Cube of challenge. And if you think about the financial markets, this already exists. There's already those people, this, that, type, that, that mindset, that's that behavior. 
people need to first be not afraid of big data because we want the most, the biggest. And quite frankly, in my opinion, in, in this day and age, the, the people with the biggest data and can harness the power of it, they're going to win. Win at what? I'm not sure yet, but they're going to win. Um, so you need people who work with people who are not afraid of big data. Meet people who, are, who understand how to take really gnarly, complex stuff and synthesize it into something that's digestible and can be shared and communicated in an effective way. Those are absolutely two critical skills when it comes to the path that we're going on. Uh, it's not necessarily going to be about a very specific technical skill. Um, that belongs in the channels for execution. You need that in your team to balance. But when it comes to leadership and in, in bringing this vision forward and identifying the power of where we're going to go, to me, that's, that's number one. The second part of that, and, and maybe like the sister answer to it, is you also have to have people who are not terrified of harnessing the power of the, the larger voice. And, and I'm talking about the mass volumes of customer and employees in social media scraping. And, and just the threads of information, places people can comment and provide details and how many likes or dislikes or rate my X, Y, and Z. Being able to harness the power of people and grab all of that information and then synthesize it into something that's usable for the right audience, whether it goes back to, you know, if I'm doing, you know, you know a new accessibility product, I saw these great eyeglasses from the CES conference um, blogs, the, um, whether it's an accessible, getting the voice of the people to be able to respond in an intelligent, thoughtful way with the right segmentation, that is going to be an absolute key. Right now, the way we gather information and collect it from the masses, the employees and customers, is very much channeled. And what we're going to see is, is it's going to be more of like a broad ingestion of information, and then it's going to be curated, organized, and then acted upon with details of it being batched out to certain groups. This goes to marketing. This goes to sales. Here's the product development team. And it's go you're going to see a, a, a quicker turnaround on collaboration, on iterations, on ideations, on changes. But right now, the way businesses and companies are formed, they're very insular. They're very protected, right? Information coming into that group probably has a strong door um, in several layers. That is going to completely change, and it's going to be overwhelming for people who are on the floor, on the ground, doing their work, used to being in their cocoon, focused on their you know, CAD design or their marketing paper or their new product activities. We need to figure out a way to bring that information in in a successful, easy-to-absorb and fit-for-purpose way to me, those are the skills. So going back to that one more time, it's the people leading the project who can understand, go for the big data and then bring it down to the focus. And oh, by the way, share the big data view with everyone too. Share the vision. Do not, do not underestimate your skills and your staff when it comes to, this is where we're going, guys. It's huge, overwhelming, but we're going to focus on step one first. It's okay. And we're going to go to step two. Never leave them off of understanding what that real landscape looks like because you're going to be so impressed with what they actually can deliver when they know where you're going. Um, so that role, that person who also takes really complex information and makes it digestible and presents it in a way that people can not get overwhelmed and paralyzed by, that and then the second piece is whoever knows how to harness the power of all this mass data and to make appropriate reactions to it. You know, what would be really fun is, is taking an example 
and, and, and applying it through an example. And, and one that I, maybe you have a different one. The one that I've been thinking about is uh, like a retail, to pick Best Buy. Because it's it's a very clear, and one of the guests brought it up, and there's an episode in the life of, I'm a customer, I walk in, there's an employee, there's an interaction. And, um, you know, I don't know how Best Buy operates, we have not talked to Best Buy, but I would imagine they're like many organizations you described, they have silos. On this side, there's the, you know, marketing team, and, and they're doing social media, and they are creating the brand, and they're driving awareness, and, and talking about the sales that they have coming up. And then there's also an employee engagement team there's a you know the HR operations team there's the management development program so the question is as I see it as you look at the top objectives of Best Buy and let's say one of them is retention many organizations are really struggling with retention today how do you now take in all of the data that's customer focused Combine that with the data around the employee so that you can identify segments and make them actionable, potentially run campaigns on the convergence of those data sets so that you can improve retention. Am I thinking about it using your framework in the right way? Please add color. Yeah, yeah, there's two there's two ways for me to address that. I'd, I'd first start by saying, you know, I, I in my teenage years, I worked at a grocery store. I didn't know everything. I didn't know everything about produce in the meat department and all, all the activities. But when someone comes up to me, regardless of where I'm standing, and they say, hey, I need help, I'm going to hand them off to someone who can help them. Like, I'm going to walk them there. I'm going to say, you know what, I don't have that answer, but I know, you know, Joe over in the meat department, he's got it. There, there's a basic human understanding of how you've parlayed someone forward. You've helped them get to the next step. We're not going to all know everything. That's just, it's absolutely unrealistic. Um, there's There's a sentiment behind that. So when you think about employees and somebody's coming up to ask you for help, whether it's in Best Buy or somewhere else, you have to be measuring, companies need to be measuring the value chain of what they're offering. So the thing I like to say is, you know, there's things about your company that aren't supposed to make you special, like the change process, the ticketing process, your financial reporting, um, your supply chain ordering. Those aren't supposed to make you special. What makes you special is the products and services you deploy. So if I'm at Best Buy, um, it shouldn't make me special that I have facilities and in space or that I'm, I'm running through, you know, transactions at the register or online. My products and the experience with the customers make you special. And so making sure that, and this is where I see a lot of potential, we'll pop get into another segment on it with AI, but measuring that when a customer comes in, it's not just a transaction. This is what I mean by the top line item. It's not just the sale occurred. It's also the sentiment of the customer for the sale. And if you're not looking at the sale plus the plus the sentiment or the traffic plus the sentiment, because maybe sales take several iterations before they actually occur, if you're not tracking that against your business operations as a whole, you're tracking it to you're, you're tracking it to macro a level. We we need to be more specific and we need to be more micro when it comes to what are we doing to impact the customer experiences. And this could be everything from when I pull up to park at the facility, when I get in and ask a question, did I get to the right place? Did I have to walk around the store how many times to get to someone who answered my question? Uh, is there some kind of technology support to say, you know, I'm going to the store, I'm looking for X, Y, and Z. And maybe I've got some preemptive prompts along the way to get me there, too. So it's about that whole connected experience. Whereas and I, now I'm not speaking on Best Buy personally, but it's the it's the connected experience of where is your business running in channels of silos 
or are you running across your operations to the benefit of a consumer experience or employee experience? And I'll tell you right now, Adam is in and out of so many companies. That model is not running in an ambient way. It's like a one-time thing. Let's do an analysis and look it up. And then people will run a project, a query, they'll get it built and they'll say, oh, that's how we're doing. Yeah, yeah, that's a point in time. This model needs to be implemented and stood up just the same way your sales is. You wanna see on an ambient level, that data running, collecting, correlating, feeding, so you can make better business decisions on, on, on the regular. That moment was an interesting moment that you described, and I'm curious to look at it from two sides. So a customer goes up to a Best Buy representative and has a question, right? And you said, hey, there are, there are steps to get there before they got to that moment in time. They walked in, there's signage, there's communication, there's social media, there's all emails. Are they part of their customer list? Are they not? But then also on the other side, what has happened in the life of the employee? Uh, not a big fan of the word employee, you know, of the human representing the Best Buy. Did they have a good day, a bad day? Are they onboarding? This is their second month, third month. Did they just have their annual review? Were they recognized for good work? What was the experience of them walking toward their shift? Was everyone scrambling, stressed, and you know, go, screaming, go over there? So it's almost like a convergence of two data sets of two sentiments. There's the sentiment of the customer. There's the sentiment of the uh, Best Buy representative, and they've just come together. And Best Buy's goal is to create that into the ultimate experience. That's a great point. And so when you were interviewing on a previous podcast, um, David Klein from Spirit Ear, and he was talking about consumerizing the employee experience, one of the things he mentioned was that onboarding ends at like year one. Like, you know, he, had, he had this theory of onboarding is not from the time of application to you know a week in. It's, it's at year one. I love that. I love that so much. So you know, I would say the same because there's so many subtle pieces. And I also would argue that Onboarding in a longer journey, in a connection like this, and helping really people get settled, network, understand the nuances beyond the paper, picks and clicks and checkboxes, is huge to your culture, to your operations, to the tone you're setting, and to retention. Imagine how, how fit you feel. Imagine how part of the system you feel, the culture and the operations. And to give a, a specific nuance, so when I'm an employee at Best Buy, and somebody comes up and asks me a question, and I don't know the answer. I'm going over to this, this you know, the, maybe the washer dryer section. And I'm talking to, 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 to John, who's standing there. And I'm going to stay there. John, so-and-so has this question. Are you the right person? And if John says, oh, yeah, actually, no, I don't know that. I'm going to stay with this person until I get them to the right place. Passing someone along is like taking a, a help desk ticket and passing it to another queue and being like, oh, sorry, not my problem. Those nuances and subtleties mean everything to an employee and a customer. And that's what I say about employee and customer lines need to get a little bit blurred. And I don't mean, of course, on the HR regulation side. I mean on the experience side. I know what it's like to be an employee on a bad day and a good day, feel included or not. I know what it's like to be a consumer with the same emotions and sentiment. What are we doing that's a right answer, a complete answer for the parties to the success of everybody? Yeah, totally agreed. Totally agreed. And this, 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 you know, folks that are passing you, the, the worst is when you call a service line and they say, well, no, no, let me transfer you. And then they transfer again and again and again. And then you either get to a dead end or you get to where you've been and you start this, the, this circle uh, again. And when I say measure it, that's exactly what I mean, by the way. So step number five, measure it. That's it. 
right? Did you, you, there's a plan journey, you thought it was going this way, but it's actually spinning in circles and your people, your employees and your customers, they're, they're getting stressed about the relationship with you. They're going to go somewhere else. Totally. So, so let, let's talk about the technology of the employee experience, which systems should come together, all of them, few of them. How would you approach this if, at the highest level possible? The question will be, okay, we run a lot of systems around our employees. Which ones would you like to to be rolled up to this? Yeah, I, I, I would say I would look at it from a case-by-case basis, different companies in different industries, it's different systems. But the actual blanket answer, it's the same thing we did when we had the supply chain um, reliability issues with covid uh, it's going to come down to data and metrics towers, right? It, it is, right? It's not just like you, okay, you have a sales system and you, you run your numbers and you know your margins, but most companies I've worked with have many sales systems in different geographies and then they're acquiring other businesses. So it's not usually a system. It's not usually just the CRM system because that's for customers. And then you've got the employee help desk systems. Well, that's for employees. So the reality is, is you probably already have all the systems. Wow. You need the metrics control tower. You need the framework that then brings it up into a dashboard. I call it the, um, the VOP, the voice of the people. And I keep referring it to as it's basically like the Bloomberg terminal for customers. Let's have a Bloomberg terminal for customers. And, and let's make sure that we're always looking at the heartbeat of what's going on with our employee and customer relationships at a global level, industry, geography, and then bring it down to micro levels so that then businesses can actually just get segments of that for their needs specifically. But could you imagine the power of like, I'm going to just keep looking at my profit margins, my sales. Okay, of course, that's important. I need to feed the house. But imagine if I had at the top line too the voice of my employees and customers, right? Who's driving the bus? That would change how we operate and how the pipeline goes from ideation to investment to planning to execution. That would give you a chance to have them be part of the story. You know, we've seen this before, being a little cheeky, the the boat, the boat vote. Remember, was it was it Bodie McBoatface or something where they had a um, a scientific boat and they asked the crowdsourcers to go on and vote for the name. And they came up with something very cheeky. You know, they were in a good boat. Uh, But 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 more serious than that. Different companies could then say, all right, I have strategic improvements. Do I want to improve my, my uh, baggage claim process or my ticket booking process? Or do I want to expand to these three new geographic markets that seem to have high traffic demands? Imagine hearing from the people on what they would vote for, where, where they would put their money first to say, I would love it if you fix the baggage claim stuff first. Um, so to me, the answer is that it's a data terminal. It's a top-level view, belongs right up there at the leadership level, segmented down. And ideally, it's something that would give you a pulse on employee and customer experiences on and on. Awesome. So let's say we have it. We've got the top-level view. You're focused on the metrics that matter most for the organization that you've heard from your customers and maybe you've heard from your employees as well. Uh, what What is your view on how to make this actionable? 
How do you compare that to, you know, you and I've talked about the world of marketing and, and how we run campaigns to customers, but how would you think about actionability based on this data? I think that really comes down to like the curating side of it and how you tie into the business operations. So, so if we want to go with the old school way, you know, if I have a new product coming out, I probably have a small think tank of 40 people or so involved and they're doing some testing and I'm doing some market feedback. I probably hired a marketing company and I'm collecting that information. I'm iterating on my designs, but then I just go. Then I'm linear and I'm, I'm going. I might have a checkpoint here and there to check on design, but I'm probably going. Um, so the way we're looking at it is you really want to have that better front end view of, you know, with between, you know, the, the, the metaverse or virtual tools or digital twins, all the different technology options that give people a chance to connect with something that doesn't exist yet um, to run through how would it use it? What, what is it? Does it make sense? Because remember, we're trying to innovate too. And people, people don't always how to test something that hasn't been invented yet. Um, so they're trying to like theorize, would it, would it impact me? Would it be something of interest? And so bringing in and getting that mass data, it's really going to come down to curating it so that when I'm in the design group, I'm getting information that matters to the design I'm working on, right? So it's all about data analytics, data tagging, organizing the information, and then creating these workflows behind it that feed the data to the right groups with the actions that they have. You get feedback, it circles back. So you're making the system smarter. Um, you should be cir circling that back and forth and getting more intelligent about what they're getting. Maybe you sent them some information. You're like, this is great, but I really could use X, Y, and Z. Workflow goes back. Oh, because it's a data lake and we're grabbing everything. Here you go. I was just trying to parse out pieces that help for certain situations. You're just going to get smarter on the value stories. Um, I see immediate application between prioritization of investments, um, the portfolio planning, uh, design thinking in a completely new interactive way with a much larger audience. And, and the last piece I'll say to that is the actionable side is if you think about today with information and people, all the apps that we have, it's so singular. I have to go here for something medical, here for something shopping, here for other something. There, there's so many silos. If you're going to give people a chance to offer their voice on something, do it in a way where it's more like filtering and selection, um, where it's like they can take preference settings and then have action. If you, if you put everything at the front line of consumers, employees, you're spreading them too thin. Uh, it's not going to be a strong, effective data grab. So we need to address those types of areas, issues, and interests before we get to the next point. But I've seen a few companies already start this. Um, I've worked with a few that have already started this. And it's so exciting because it's so different. It's so different. Yeah. I mean, it, when you think about, you know, the perspective of the employees, it's, it's really what's in it for me. Whatever that communication is, whatever that message is, similar to when you think about us as customers, when you receive an email or text, uh, any kind of a push notification, what's in it for me? What would you like me to do? So you as an organization talking about the goals at, at the highest level, improve baggage claims, improve the sentiment of the customer, improve revenue. What does this mean for me? So when you think about the convergence of the data together with customer and employee, how much can we understand so that you can refine what you sent to me and make it hyper personalized. In the hyper personalizing, I'm going to go back to my comment earlier about the VOP, the voice of the people. We're not, enough companies are not hearing the voice of the people enough. They're not. As an example, um, you know, there's a lot of tools on medical devices to take these uh, different devices and logons to medical institutions. And 
to centralize them. But being in patient groups and having collaboration with patients, they're all looking for something to centralize their information with. It's, it's this constant play of corporations telling people I have something for you. And then complete disconnect or adoption from the target audience. And then these people are asking for the same thing that some corporations did they already delivered. The voice of the people is not in a loop yet. The minute you get that loop, everyone's gonna be smarter, more surgical, more specific, more value add for both the business and the customers because now it's gonna loop through. So when we talk about you know, employee and customer experiences and your, your corporate goals at the top level, Closing that loop and getting that feedback, getting and harnessing the voice of the people in volume is going to be absolutely fantastic. I, I see over and over and over again too many companies deploying products without really getting the weight of their consumer base. And it's just, it's not going anywhere. It's, it, they're, they're not missing their sales targets. They're not, they're, they're not hitting their goals. I'm um, sorry, they're missing their sales targets. They're not hitting their goals. And, and therefore, unicorns are popping up. And that's the second symptom. The first symptom is you're not hearing the people and you're, not, you're building what you think they want versus what they want. And the second symptom is your employees are leaving. And we see that in numbers. We see that uh, across the board. You're missing sales targets. You're doing cuts. And then there's a mass attrition activities that have been going on for the last few years. And the reason they're leaving is because the employees don't feel like they're being heard. Their needs are not being met. You didn't prioritize what was important to them because you did a one-time exercise and a one-time survey, and then you made decisions off of that instead of having this ambient data feed collection from customers' employees, and then made actionable decisions to keep iterating on that for a healthy business model. So now then the employees are going off, and what are we seeing? A mass startup model, right? Everyone's building the stuff that they've been asking for, and you know what? It's good stuff. It's working, clearly. And, and if more surveys was the answer, then every organization would have had perfect engagement at this point however you measure it. It isn't the answer. In fact, many other organizations I've talked to over the last six months that have done an engagement survey post-pandemic, they're horrified at that as a leading indicator to what's to come. Absolutely horrified. And, and there's a little bit of a panic mode, but also the same muscles are kicking in. It's kind of like a siloed listening. We'll listen over there, but then this is the real world, world we're operating, and you're proposing a convergence of those two worlds where the voice of your people really is now informing the decisions that you make. Jennifer, amazing conversation, looking at the time and just thinking about you know the perspective of the audience. So if you are one of our agents of change in organizations, and, and remember, they're, they're either leading L&D, change management, they may be in HR, innovation, perhaps even operations or technology. Um, what piece of advice would you give them? They get it. They're now looking to, to do something with it. What advice would you give? Where do they begin? And I know we talked about the steps. Maybe step one is where they need to begin. Well, step one is, is to know where you're standing, right? So if you have an idea for change and innovation and you're knocking on the doors and people aren't listening, there's really not much you can do about that, right? Like we, we can all be persuasive business presenters and um, put in proposals for ideas. But this market, and this is, this is going to change fast. If you're the type of person that has the not afraid of big data um, taking complex problems. And so if you have solutions and you're looking at this, my advice to you is to find your home, find your place where somebody is looking to make that move. This, this is going to move fast. It's going to move in the next couple of years. Um, and 
if you are knocking, let's say you're in industry right now and you're knocking on a door and they're just not having it, I guess my suggestion would be is that's a pet rock. It's, this is not going to be a bottom up transformation. This isn't going to happen from a grassroots view. Um, find, find your space where, with your people that empower you to then see the potential going forward because we need the best good people. We need the people who care about what good looks like and what's the right next thing to do. Make sure you're in that space. Great advice. Jennifer, great advice. Well, I look forward to having you back. I look forward to you letting us know when the book is ready for us to share it with our community. Uh, this has been amazing. Thank you. Always a pleasure, Adam. Thank you for having me. Over and out.